we started this morning. I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Hopefully you guys have your packets that you've been bringing them with you, your own personal how-to biblical counseling training packets. If you don't have one, there's some on the back bench there, and you can grab one and take it and keep it. Um, Okay, let's go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Father, we're thankful for you For you today, as we come before you, we are reminded that um, we are constantly living in your presence. There's nowhere that we can go to get away from you. As As I've heard it said before, and I've said before, God is man's environment. Um, All of our life is lived out before you. For your children, Lord, that's just wonderfully encouraging news because we're reminded of the fact and we know that we struggle in many ways and in our struggles we know that there's the grace that overcomes there's the help that you give to us there's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that ministers to us and intercedes for us and the spirit of God which has been given to us as he helps us and convicts us of all truth and righteousness and paint continues to paint that vision of the pursuit of the glory of God being our greatest good continues to paint that so that we might pursue that in our lives, and we're thankful for that as well. We're um, praying, Lord, for this time that you would help us, number one, become personally um, people who worship you accurately, appropriately, like the scriptures call us to do, to worship you rightly, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And then, Lord, after that, we would be people that are equipped to help others worship as well. We want to help others enjoy you and see you and know you and and love you more, to worship you. And so I pray, God, this mor- for this, our time together this morning that you would help us to do these things for your glory and for our good and for the good of those that we're ministering to. We do ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what makes biblical counseling biblical? Um, We started off by talking about the authority of Scripture. We then went to the sufficiency of Scripture. We've talked about the key doctrines of the faith. And as you have your packet, we're now talking about some of the more practical how-to elements of biblical counseling. You know the theology Okay, you know what the Bible says about some pretty important things. We're going to be discussing actually one of those very important things in this morning's sermon. Um, But you have formulated a worldview that you believe is biblical. It's consistent with the scripture. The, the, The number one goal for your life is what you see the number one goal for everyone's life being, and that's to glorify God, to pursue God's glory to, re, um, to be an agent of revealing God's glory, to speak about God's glory, to enjoy his glory, to do everything for the glory of God because that's the end of which God does everything himself. He does everything else. He does everything for the expansion of his glory, the promotion of his glory, um, the display of his glory. And so we want to be people that do the same thing. So you've got the theological undergirding 
to help you do that, to sustain that, to pursue that. And now we're talking about some of the key elements. What are some of the real practical how-tos regarding biblical counseling? And that's what we're into now. So as we get into the key elements, we talked last week about building loving involvement. We heard a couple testimonies from people regarding their own personal experience when going through a very difficult season of life, going to someone that they're thinking, okay, this person is going to help me. They're equipped to help me biblically deal with what I'm dealing with, um, but never really experiencing and feeling like they were, um, you know, the person, the person doing the counseling never desired to really build loving involvement with them. Um, I had someone, someone used to say to me all the time, you know, you can say anything to me if I know that you're for me. And I think that that goes a long way. Um, we are much more likely to receive counsel and to receive it well when we, fo- when we believe that the person speaking to us is for us and they love us and they want the greatest, they, they genuinely want what's best for us because it's what God wants for us. So what God wants and what the counselor wants needs to be one and the same thing. And the only real way that a counselee knows that the counselor is for them in that way is if they take the time to build the loving involvement. And so it's a really important key element. Don't rush. Don't feel like you have to get through this stage. And as if building the the loving involvement is something that you do and the first time you meet with them and then, okay, I've done that. Now I'm moving on. All of these elements we need to remember are things that we're progressively doing all the time as you're talking to people and you're giving them counsel. Always continue to build the relationship and build loving involvement. Always continue to um, provide biblical hope. Always continue to draw out of them what's going on so that you can provide biblical um, definitions for what it is that they're going through, biblical solutions to their problems. And then that in that way, You can help give them biblical, as I would call them, projects for growth, for things for them to do on their own in order for them to continue to grow. Most of the change that's going to take place in in your counselees or in the person's life that you're counseling is probably not going to be while you're sitting with them doing your one-on-one formal counseling. It's probably going to be your counsel that you give to them, the way that they think about it, the way that they process it after you've already separated from one another, and the things that you've suggested for them to do, things that you've given to them to read. Hey, you're struggling with this issue. You know the Bible speaks about that issue. Why don't you, over the next week or so, spend time reading these passages, spend time praying in this way, and I'm going to give you some, maybe some worksheets or something like that to do that helps you flesh out and think through what you're doing and why you're doing it and what the Bible says about it. And as people prayerfully and purposefully take the time to do those things, especially things that you give them to do concerning the Word of God, that's where the real change begins to happen in their lives. As they're at home and maybe you've assigned to them a passage to read, a psalm to read, and they're reading through the psalm and you've given them a basic structure of the psalm, but you're saying, look for these things. See how you identify with that. What is the Lord saying through the psalmist to us as he speaks to us through the scriptures? How do you take that and apply it and implement it to your own life? How do you understand these things to be speaking to you? And you watch the Lord change people in that way as he does through his word. 
And so we think about this not just as being, counseling is not just something that we're doing in like steps or stages, but is really kind of all of these elements always going on and being involved while we're speaking to people. So we talked about the importance of building loving involvement. Secondly, what we want to get into today is sharing biblical hope. Um, this I said last week that when I first started formally doing counseling, um, I wanted to jump straight to elements four and five. I want to evaluate the problem biblically. I want to provide you biblical instruction, thinking that if I just did those two things, people's problems would like be fixed and they would go away. But yet, as I looked at my own life, I would see that that wasn't always the case. I would understand. I understand in a lot of the issues that I struggle with in my own life, I understand the problem biblically, very biblically. I understand what the solution is, and I know what I should be doing instead. But there's always in my own life this disconnect. I'm like Paul in Romans 7. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why do I not do the things that I know I should do? And part of me does want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Like, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I find myself in that struggle. You're going to find a lot of people that you're talking to in that struggle as well. They know what the problem is. They've probably tried a lot of other ways to fix the problem, and none of them have worked, mainly because, primarily because they're probably worldly ways of understanding the problem and trying to go about fixing it. They're coming to you because they know, unashamedly, you're saying this is biblical counseling. We firmly believe that the Bible provides all that we need for life and godliness. So let's understand your problem biblically. Let's understand what the solution is, who the solution is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you're a born-again believer, the Spirit of God that indwells you. And let's begin to understand these things. And a key element in doing that is sharing biblical hope. People, if they struggle with a problem for long enough, will, lose, will tend to lose hope. And they'll begin to think, this is just the way that I am. I can't change. I've tried to change. You know how many people I've talked to that are just like, they just sit in front of me as if it's a formality. Well, I've tried everything to change. I can't. I know I'm not going to. I know you're not going to help me, but my wife's making me come, so here I am. My friend's making me come, so here I am. My parents are making me come, so here I am. What do you want to talk about? Well, that's a, that's, those are signs of someone who's lost all real hope of who God is and what he's capable of doing and how he can bring about change. And, and in some ways, the, the, the conversation needs to f be geared towards do you trust the Lord, and are you willing to walk in obedience to him? What is it that you are wanting to happen in your life? If your hope, we need to talk about biblical hope in where it's found and who it comes from in God himself and what he's capable of. But we also need to talk about what's your picture and what your vision of hope is really like. And what are you hoping in? Well, as soon as this situation goes away or as soon as this problem is solved, then I can finally be happy and then I can finally have, 
you know, hope in the right things. Well, that's telling me automatically what you're hoping in. And, and we've talked about this before. There's no way that you can guarantee to them that God's going to change the situation or the circumstances they're, that they're in. But this is the good news. Their hope isn't based upon the change of their circumstances or the cha- changing of the people around them. Their hope is built in God. Their hope is built in Jesus Christ. Their hope is built upon him being glorified in their situation. It's not the removal or the change or the absence of their circumstances. It's the one who is with them in the midst of their circumstances that promises to help them, to never leave them nor forsake them, and to use everything for his glory and for their good. And so people need a perspective shift. They need to be reminded of why they're in what they're in. God has ordained everything for its purpose. God never does anything accidentally, haphazardly. It is all purposeful. And so, it's, so the prayer begins to change from God, remove me from, okay, God, just sustain me, strengthen me, help me to look to you and to help people have hope in the midst of their circumstances. So there's some... Um, some scriptures here that go along with this, some of them written out for you. Um, I think that, um, you know, one of the ones that we, well, just the, the sermon that we had <clears throat> a couple weeks ago in Romans 5, 1 through 5, speaks about this and is helpful in that way. It's not on your list, but you could certainly use it. And I think it's a wonderful passage to use for helping people have hope. I'm going to go ahead and read through Romans 5, 1 through 5, and I think you guys can see this. We've, we've talked about it recently. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You begin to think about how would you work through a passage like this with somebody that's going through their problem, they're focusing on their problem, and they're struggling to have hope. And in verse 1, you already see they have things to hope in. They've been justified by faith, and they have peace with God. Those are two really wonderful things that can help change someone's perspective. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so you think about how that reorients them towards their hope being in the glory of God. More than that, or not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, this is like the part where when you're speaking with somebody and you get to this part, when they, they, they need to learn to embrace this, this truth and this reality, but, can, but it can be difficult because this is not theological, just theological information. You're talking to somebody who is in the midst of something incredibly difficult and hurtful and harmful, and they need the courage maybe to stand up and do and say what's right. Or they just need the, 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 the hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you're going to say, rejoice in your sufferings. Is that biblically true? Yes, it's biblically true. But is that, the, is that what you're going to open with? Probably not, right? Like you need to help people get there. They've lost a vision of the glory of God and who he is for what, who he is, period. Who he, he, who he is supposed to be for them. His presence, the eternal, immutable, 
omniscient God is present and overseeing, governing all of the details and the minutia of everything that's going on in their lives. They've, they've lost all that. They've forgotten all that, if they've even known it in the first place. All right, you got to teach them these things sometimes. And then when they grab a hold of that, and, and you're starting to paint this picture of hope, biblical hope, identifying hope biblically, having hope being found in God himself, right? We talked about Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that, you mu- so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You let them know that this is what God is at work doing, what he's helping them do. And once you've painted an accurate vision for them in that, you feel like, okay, they're now pursuing that as their greatest good. Then you lead them to understand you can rejoice in your sufferings. And this is why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Always in the conversation is this idea. You're always communicating. You're asking yourself this. You should be asking yourself this all the time and be asking, and asking your counselee or your friend or whoever you're talking to, how good does becoming like Jesus sound to you? How much do you want to really be like Christ? Right, because this is one of these things that Christians say. I want to be the hands and feet of God. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like, I want to I have Christ's likeness made within me. Well, the passage tells us, the scripture tells us this is the path. Tribulation, suffering, perseverance, character. You want to be like Christ and you want to have his character, this is what's in store. Now, this is the thing. When you know this process to be true, it helps you work through when you're in the middle of suffering and you know this text. You can tell yourself this text. It doesn't necessarily make the suffering easy, but it gives you perspective and reminds you, right? But what if you don't even know a text like this exists in the Bible? Imagine how helpful something like this is when you're talking to somebody and you're ministering to them. This is, and you're showing them, this is what God is doing. This is who God is. And you're walking them through this and you're helping them build hope, character, and understanding. And then you show them hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And then you help them understand these things. Doesn't a passage, don't you think a passage like that helps cultivate? Uh, it, it identifies biblical hope and it helps people cultivate biblical hope and it reminds them that this is what God is doing in their life. And so this is some steps in cultivating biblical hope. You cast a vision of what God can do through his word. As someone who is doing the counseling, you are a vision caster. And 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 I'll say this. You can really only cast a vision as far as the vision is your own. Does that make sense? Like, what you're going to communicate to people 
implicitly. And what they're going to pick up on is the fact that what you're communicating to them in some way, shape, or form probably reflects the degree of what you're living your own life. And so if you personally have a low vision, like a low-grade version and vision of the glory of God, what he's capable of doing, how he communicates himself in Scripture, that's the God you're going to be presenting to people. Just it, implicitly, you're going to do it. This is why cultivation, that's why the best counselor, best counselors are always first counselees. People who are taking their own wisdom and they're people who are fighting to, to create a vision of the glory of God in their own lives. And as they see that glory, the glory of God and they're pursuing the glory of God and they're learning to enjoy him and embrace him and worship him, they're able then to, it's like you're saying to your counselee, hey, you know, lift your eyes. Lift them where? Just lift them right here. You're looking right here. Just lift them right here. Like, who wants to do that? Is that the way you're living your life? Maybe you're not looking straight down, but you're just kind of blah, ho-hum. Or maybe here. But the scripture tells us to look where? Look to the, lift your eyes up to the hills. Look up to the sky and see who God is and what he's capable of doing. This is what we're constantly telling people to do. Look up. Look to the one who, who can, who, who's worthy of all praise and worship and the one who is capable of bringing out of this situation something that you will enjoy. It will be for your good and it will be for his glory. Have, cast a vision for who God is and what he's capable of doing and cultivate that in your own life. Teach the promises of God regarding his character and good plans for his people. What I'm going to, if you have your packet with you, circle the word promises. Don't give them, them, don't give them the, your own ideas. Don't give them your own wishes and hopes and dreams for them. You give them the promises of God that are in the word. They can't trust in your hopes for them. They can't trust in your plans for them, your desires for them, your dreams for them. You have no ability to bring about what you want in their lives. You don't even know if what you want is what God wants. Never give people, it's something for them to build their hope upon, your, your prayers for them, your desires for them. You always have them build their hope upon the promises of God in his word for them. And they need to discern the difference between his promises and his, his, your promises. Or his promises and sometimes just words of wisdom. And Proverbs are an excellent book to think through in that way. Not everything that the book of Proverbs says is a promise that's guaranteed to come to pass. Parents raise, raise your children the way that they, they should go, and they will return to him. It's not a promise. It's a general rule of biblical wisdom, but you're, we're not promised some of these things. You need to help people think through that. Illustrate how victory is possible in the midst of hardship and difficulty. 
I wrote in my notepad, my, my packet, slash, if God wills, you're always just, not my will, may your will be done. You're trusting in what God's secret will is. Um, what I'll just say is this. God has a secret, decreed will, and then he has his, what we would call his revealed, declared will. You and I and all believers are called to concern ourselves with God, what God's declared and revealed will is. We don't know what his sovereign secret will is sometimes. You live your life based upon what he has revealed. The commands he's revealed, the promises he's revealed. And you live according to that. And you get lost in the wonder and the love of the, the sovereign secret will of God. Don't be manipulated by the behaviors of others. Use biblical terminology to describe the problem and start with the most accountable, responsible person before God, which is you, right? Okay, so sharing biblical hope. Um, moving on now to number three, the key element number three, building loving involvement, sharing biblical hope. This is a lot of kind of the foundational groundwork, and you're gathering data. You, you cannot accurately give people wisdom and advice if you don't understand what's going on. That's just not only common sense, but biblical sense. Proverbs 18, 13, if you wanna write this in. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I said this, I think, in the first meeting that we had. I don't wanna be a foolish Christian. I don't wanna be a foolish pastor. I don't wanna be a foolish husband. I don't wanna be a foolish father. I don't wanna be a foolish friend. I don't wanna be a foolish counselor. I don't want to be a fool at all. It's like one of the worst things in the Bible is to be called a fool. There's only two people in Scripture that is worse off than the fool in the book of Proverbs. The sluggard and the person that's wise in their own eyes. Don't be those people. So you've got to be able to gather biblical data. You don't understand. Don't assume. One of the things that we'll do is we'll give people a packet who are coming in for counseling. Um, I have a gentleman last week emailed me, hey, a friend of mine, I go to this church here, a friend of mine said that you have biblical counseling ministry, I really need help, would you help me? Corresponded through a few emails, trying to just understand some stuff, and go, okay, yeah, we're gonna move forward here. Here's this packet of information, and on it it's a bunch of questions, tell me what's going on. Tell me things that you struggle with, blah, 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 all these things like that. They're going to fill it out. They're going to give it to you. You're going to go, okay, I have some information. Never assume that they're telling you all that there is to know in that packet of information. Don't assume people are telling you everything that you need to know the first time you meet, the second time you meet, the third time you meet. You are constantly trying to draw out information because there are some things that even when we're being open and honest and we're saying, okay, I need help. I want you to help me with this. And they lay some stuff out on the table. Usually, there are always a few tidbits that they're holding back and they're reserving for themselves because they're ashamed. They're, or they're, they're guilty, they're embarrassed. Or maybe they really don't want to let go. They want you to help them with these problems, but they really don't want help with these problems. And they don't understand that these ones are actually the root of <laughs> these ones often. So you're constantly drawing out information, which means what? To be a good counselor, you have to be a good listener. Listen to what people say. Listen to the words that they use. 
Listen to the connections that they're making between this situation and these people, this situation and these emotions, this situation and these responses. People are constantly, if they're speaking, they're constantly giving you information that's helpful for you to be a good counselor. Good counselors do a lot of question asking. See, what I wanted to do when I first started counseling was what did I want to do? I'm here to teach. Please have a seat. What's your problem? Ah, yes. I know what your problem is. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Don't be worried. Don't have, be anxious about anything. Boom, boom. Did you know that to be true? Yes. You did know that to be true. Well, what's wrong with you? I, you we've just identified the problem biblically. We've just looked at a passage in the Bible that tells you it's wrong. What's wrong with you? Why are you still doing these things? Okay, well, I'm going to now, I'm going to now fix your problem. Here's some more Bible passages to read. They read them the next week. They come back. Yeah, I already knew all that stuff. There must be something wrong with you. Yeah, you think? There's something wrong with all of us. You're not, you're not, you're not gathering information. There's stuff that they're not telling you. Why? Because you're not asking good questions. You're not being a good counselor. Good counselors always gather data. You want to be able to give an answer after you've heard, after you've drawn out. Now, you're constantly always leading and guiding. It's not like you ever come to a place where you're like, okay, I've got all that I need to know. But you do come to these places where you're like, okay, I think I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. This is what I think. Read these things. Let's pray about these things. We'll, let's get together next week and we'll talk about it. What, what, what was helpful? What wasn't? Okay, yeah, maybe we're tracking the right way. And you continue to develop what you think is going on, discerning what the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, using the word of God, helping them understand, leading them, gathering good data. Purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Listen to the problems being presented. Have the counselee fill out a PDI, that's the packet, personal data inventory. This is like formal counseling, okay? If, if someone, okay, so let me just say this. If, if, say Sam, he goes, hey man, can we, I want to talk about something. There's something that I've been struggling with. I'm using Sam as an example because he's, he's a mature um, man. He goes, yeah. I, I go, yeah, let's meet this week. Hey, by the way, here's a packet of paperwork. Like, I've known Sam for, for several years now. I know him pretty well. I'm not going to go, hey, here's a packet of paperwork. Can you fill this out before we come and talk next time? You know, but I'm talking about people you don't know anything about. People that are referred from other churches, kind of in a formal setting. Like, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. Here's a packet of information. It's just a tool to help me get to know you so I can minister to you. That's the ultimate thing we're trying to do here, minister to one another. Ask good questions, extensive and intensive. If you have questions about that, we can talk, I can explain those to you. Watch for nonverbal non communication. People are speaking all the time without using their words. Watch for body language. You guys probably know me, like I speak with my hands. If I'm preaching and my hands are like this, or if my hands are like this, you know, okay, there's, he's communicating. When he uses his hands, it's like important. Everything to Nick must be important because he's always using his hands. But people are always using body language. If they're sitting there, crossed, shelled up, reserved, okay, they're communicating to you. There's, there's something going on. 
um, people roll their eyes, right? Like scripture expressly condemns rolling your eyes, having haughty eyes. If people are rolling their eyes at you, yeah, it's probably a reason. You should probably notice and think about why that might be. Um, watch for body language. It's important. Um, okay, and we want to get to point four because next week is going to be our last week and we want to talk about points five and six. I'm just going to pause real quick and I don't have the mic, but if anybody has any questions, I know some of this, it's um, not, doesn't avail itself a ton to like involvement and interaction, but if anybody does have a question or a comment that they'd like to share that you think would be edifying to the body, then, or a question for me, feel free. For someone that you're counseling with who has been a Christian for a long time, but has got some really um, bad doctrine, especially on the suffering part, because that's kind of my background. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything in particular, any, anything that you would, would say or do or I mean, have you dealt with that, and, and how hard is that to break through yeah. years of bad, bad theology? <laughs> right. Um, I would say that all of us probably have some bad doctrine regarding suffering, and, um, but there are some people that have really bad doctrine. You think about, like, the prosperity gospel stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. What I would what I would say is I would I would just start with not assuming even if you know the person well, not assuming you know what their theological or doctrinal problems are, but to sit down with them and go help me understand, you know, um, just asking good questions. Share with me what you understand about suffering from the Bible. Share with me what you understand about who God is. And then, so start with questions like that. Draw out from them. And then you've you got to ask them. At some point, you have to ask them, and you need to know, um, are you willing to look at what the entire Bible says about this particular issue of suffering? And if they say yes, then you go, great. Let's look at a couple passages. And you can bring them through some of the Proverbs. You can bring them through the book of Job. You can bring them through... Um, Paul and his suffering, 2 Corinthians 12, um, you know, depending on where you think that they are. Because you're, what you're trying to do first is you're trying to help create for them a biblical and accurate view of what the Scripture says about suffering. Now, they're going to have questions. Somebody in that kind of theological camp is going to have questions along the way. And you're going to have to correct some of those things. But your correction is always, but we're, we're looking at the Word. Your, your, your problem at the end of the day is, you don't want them to be, you don't want it to be a problem with, you know, your opinion. But you, the problem needs to be that they're fundamentally disagreeing with what God's word says. But what I would say is to go slow and ask good questions and make sure that the scriptures are the foundation of which you guys are operating from. And then work through these passages together. So always starting with the scripture. 
But there are other good resources out there as well regarding, like we have little booklets on what God says about your problems, what the Bible says about suffering, and I'll give some of those pamphlets to people too because they're super helpful and that they're condensed, and a lot of these authors out there can explain things and communicate things way better than I can, and so I'll give it to them and I'll say, read it, and let's get back together again and you can, let's talk about what'd you get from it, what'd you agree with, what'd you disagree with, why'd you disagree with these things, you know, and so... Um, Practical-wise, there's some tools like that. But ultimately, you're trying to get and understand, like, why does this person think this way about the Bible? I would even say this. You give to me your biblical reasons. Share with me your scriptures that help formulate your biblical idea of suffering that you're holding on to. Take those and walk through them, one at a time if need be, contextually, so that they understand that the way that they're reading that passage is not the way that it's intended to be read from that passage of Scripture. So there, there's, I think, you know, several ways and a lot of tools that you can use to do that. Was that helpful? Okay. Anybody else? You're going to just... I know you're, you have this paper under your pillow at night. You're just, this is all you're thinking about, meditating on. Um, this is, I know for a lot of people it can be a lot of information. Let me just take a, a moment here to make a plug for the NCT, North Creek um, Counseling Training. North Creek is a church in Walnut Creek that has been doing biblical counseling ministry for many, many years. They are an ACBC certifying agency. Um, I'm convinced that ACBC is a, a theologically and doctrinally sharp, trustworthy biblical counseling source and training source. Their materials are good. Um, they, get, they talk about all the stuff that we're talking about. That training is happening. There's one weekend in August, one in September, one in October. And there's a, a track that you can go to to attend to help learn the fundamentals. This is the stuff that they teach there. Um, this is the stuff that we teach in Ethiopia. This is the stuff that OIC ministry teaches in all of the countries that they go to because this is just some of the, the bare bones biblical structure of biblical counseling. So if you want to learn more, go to the NCT training if you just want to continue to have this stuff unfolded to you, go to the training. If you would like, if you're just a Christian and you have a pulse and you breathe oxygen, go to the training. It's good. It's just good stuff. You may not agree with everything that's said. That's okay. Like, eh, I won't get into that. But it's good. Go to it. There's a group of us that are going, that are signed up and registered to go. If you're interested and you want to go, come see me. Okay, number four. Evaluate the problem biblically. We've got about five minutes for this, so I'm probably going to get into this, and then I'm going to save a little bit of it and cover the next two um, next week. Evaluating the problem biblically. You've you got to. I mean, even if you build the good, healthy relationship, people know that you're for them, that you've generated hope, there's this loving involvement, like you still got to tell them the truth, Right? Like, you still got to walk them through the scripture. You still have to evaluate the problem biblically. But after spending time, you build the relationship, 
you're generating hope, you're gathering a lot of information. Hopefully you can see these key elements are in the order that they're in for a particular reason. It's kind of a natural progression and flow. You're ga you've gathered a lot of data. You feel like, okay, I've got a pretty good idea of who this person is, what, their, what the real problem is, under gathering data. There's always the presentation problem. This is what they're saying the problem is when they come to you, right? Presenta common presentation problem. I'm, I struggle with anger. Would you help me deal with my anger? Okay. What I would say is that the presentation problem is oftentimes not the real problem. I said last week, the problem's not the problem. The heart is the problem. You're always getting down to what's, what's, what's ruling the heart. What's the idol that's taking up residence? There's a throne. If you have this mental picture, there's a throne in your heart. God should be sitting on it. We've come across, knocked him off. We want to sit on the throne, and we want, you know, something with us there. We've established that on the throne. As Christians, we should want God on the throne, and this is the struggle that we have. You're gathering information. You think, okay, this is what's sitting upon the throne. How do I get that thing dethroned? And how do I put God rightly back in his place. So you've got to evaluate the problem biblically. Distinguish between occasions of suffering and sinning. This is a, these are two very big categories that are super helpful. The person sitting in front of you, are they, are they there most likely because they're suffering, because they're recipients of the sinful actions of other people around them, or are they there because they're sinning? As in they're there because it's, they're the ones that are involved doing the sinful actions. Now everybody's always both. Everybody's always both to some degree. But you're trying to ascertain, is this person here because they just, they don't know how to interpret and understand the, the, the hardships that are going on around them. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is super helpful. Paul would say this, um, I urge you to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. Okay, you trying to understand, is the person that's in front of me, are they idle? They know what they should be doing, they're just not doing it. Are they faint-hearted? Are they weak? We're trying to rightly understand where this person is. Are they a sufferer? Are they here because they, they're, suffer, they're at the they're recipients of the suffering, the sinful decisions of other people? Or are they there before you because they're the ones that have, they're the ones that are the sinner. They've committed the offense, if you will. And again, everybody's always both of these things, but it's helpful to understand these two broad categories. Use the counselee's story as an opportunity to address problems. Use biblical terminology when discussing problems. And what I'll say, oh, I'm going to end in uh, praying here in just a minute. Use biblical terminology when discussing problems. You have to help them see their problem identified the way the Bible identifies it. It gives them something to, to hold on to, right? The last page on your work in this packet the non-believing world is going to use different terminology than you. When you start to use biblical terminology, they're going to be like, what's that mean? I, I, I have a problem with drinking. The Bible would say that you're a drunkard. 
we need to be able to rightly understand things biblically using biblical terminology so that when we talk about the biblical terms and the biblical solutions, we're speaking the same language. We need to help them, and this is part of the counseling process that's always going on. You're helping them reinterpret what they're doing, what they've experienced, the way that they think, the way that they feel, the words that they use, and you're trying to funnel it all into biblical terminology. That way, when you're speaking the Bible and you're reading the Bible and you're praying the Bible, you're speaking the same language. They need to probably learn some biblical terminology and language. All right, we're going to pause there. I'm going to pray. We're going to prepare for our um, corporate worship here, and then we'll finish this packet next week. And we are going to be getting into a study on Colossians the next Sunday school. I was just informed. All right, let's pray. Father, we... We are people that need your help. We don't like to see what Scripture says about us. We don't like to see that we are called to be hungry people, hunger and thirst for righteousness, put forth your kingdom first and search for it, knowing that our hunger will only be fully satisfied then. We just need to be comfortable with being hungry. We are people, Lord, that we know the Scripture says or we're ugly. We are people that have been called sick, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. We saw that last week. As we get into the text today, Lord, as we see about where all this originated from, we need to continue to maintain that understanding of ourselves. Even though we have been bought and redeemed, adopted by Christ, we are righteous, we are justified, we have grace, we've been given peace, like all these incredibly wonderful, powerful things are ours. Yes, they are ours now, but our ugliness has not fully been taken care of. It, it resides and, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see it, to turn from it, to set our eyes upon Jesus and behold his wonderful face. For every one look at our sin, may we take ten looks to Christ, for we need that help and that reminder. Lord, help us to do that for our own lives. Help us to do that to, in the lives of others, to counsel them well. And may you be glorified in this time that we've spent together in Sunday school, and may you be glorified in the time that we will spend together in a few moments in our corporate worship. Lord, bless your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.